Hey everyone, this is Zach from the False Nines. Before we dive into today's episode, I do want to mention a little bit of a slip up on Adam and my part. We recorded this episode on Wednesday evening uh, and spoke on the closing of the English Premier League transfer window. Uh, mistakenly, as the transfer window did stay open another day and ended at the end of the day on September 1st. Our apologies there. A little bit of what we talked about is slightly incorrect, considering that there were some more moves made across the Premier League. That being said, the moves were fairly minimal, in my opinion, and so a lot of uh, the material still rings true in terms of our assessments of different teams' transfer windows. All right, that being said, enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 92nd episode of a now monthly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend and co-host, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are we doing today? Uh, Footy, Zach, that's some nice beer chugging there, Footy. Explain. Well, you're glugging at the beginning of the podcast. Mmm, my glugging. Thank you. My glugging was top of my... This It was probably the best glugging that I've done in a long time, drinking those beers that we drank at the beginning of the podcast. I was like, what is that in reference to? Um, and now we're rambling. Uh, a, an interesting day in football today, Adam. A, a, a tough one. A tough one for not, Newcastle fans. Not not in a good way. Um, interesting, to say the least. We will get into it later on, but safe to say that Liverpool are not our favorite team currently in the Premier League as Newcastle fans. They are not. They are not even even close to the top of the list. Um, yeah, tough, tough one as Newcastle fan. We we did have some some other games take place that were less important than the Newcastle game, including Erling Holland now really trying to see how quickly he can score a hat trick. It took him an entire match uh, on the weekend, so he he needed to cut that in half and, and do it in the first 45 today. Um, nine goals yeah. in five games. Well, not just that. He scored a perfect hat trick too. Right foot, left foot header. Second mm -hmm. game in a row that he scored a hat trick. All right, we'll start off with a quick 10 and 90 question for you then, Zach. How okay. many other players in Premier League history have scored back-to-back -back hat tricks? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, oh, I don't know. I have no idea how many. Like three, maybe? Uh, the answer is five others. So he is the sixth player to score a back-to-back -back okay. hat trick in consecutive games in the Premier League era. Do you want to hazard a guess at any of those players that might have hit it? There are five total. Suarez ever do it? Did not. Did not. Um, I mean, Mo, because he has the record for most goals in the season, but I don't think so. Nope. Salah is um, not on the list. Drogba? Drogba is one of them. Well done. Um, only okay. one of them is currently playing in the Premier League, other than Holland, obviously. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Um, one of them is currently playing in the Premier League. Did Vardy do it in the championship and the title winning season? Now, um, no. I'll make one more guess. Cristiano Ronaldo. Nope. I'll give you some I'll give you some of the answers here. Harry Kane is the player that's currently still okay. in the Premier League that has done it. 2017, he did it. Wayne Rooney did it. Ian Wright did it. And Newcastle's own 
it was actually for QPR, but a new former Newcastle player, Les Ferdinand, was the first player to ever do it in the Premier League year. Nice. That is extremely impressive of a of a thing to do. Um, yeah, Holland is. I don't know. I don't know if anybody actually was doubting that he could adjust to the Premier League in the in the cliche way that people always talk about, like the physicality and everything like that, because he is a machine. But it hasn't hasn't taken long for him to figure out how how the best team in England can he can fit in and and do what he needs to do to get his goals. Um, his off ball runs are. I mean, his just positioning is amazing. Like he, two of his goals today weren't what you would describe as like hard finishes but it's just he is in the right place every single time and that's that's how you become an elite striker he sure is and no player has ever scored three hats in, in a row oh. in the premier league and so aston villa away this weekend i wouldn't want to be stevie g right now oh my god villa villa is bad too um they are not let up nine goals in, in five matches so that's that's going to be a tough one um okay so let's get into it adam as as we talked about we, we have not done our podcast in a month's time since just before the season began five matches have taken place for all teams uh except for man united and leicester that for for some reason have each played four um quick run through the table i won't go through the whole thing because it is Quite tight in points. Uh, Arsenal, the only the only team still perfect. Five wins, zero draws, zero losses, 15 points. Uh, following them in the top four, City at 13 points, Tottenham at 11 points, and Brighton, everybody's plucky underdogs at 10 points. Um, we have our Newcastle United sitting in 11th on six points. And then the bottom three made up of Wolves, Aston Villa and Leicester that's going from 18 down three points three points and Leicester only with one draw in four matches so they're sitting there with one point after a very disappointing summer a disappointing start to the season as well any quick one one or two sentence thoughts on uh, the table standings before we kind of dive into the talking points for today I think very early on in the season to be formulating any immediate thoughts on where teams may end up. But Bournemouth, I think we're going to get into in a few minutes here, already with a negative 14 goal difference following a 9-0 drubbing last weekend. Um, <laughs> that could already be good enough to send them down. Um, looking at that goal difference already after just five games, I mean, that's going to be as good as a point lost at the end of the season. Yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. I agree. That does it does make a difference with having such a I mean the only team relatively close to them are are not even Forest who lost 6-0 to to uh City today, but yeah, past those two you're looking at a 10 plus gold or 9 plus gold differential distance with any other team that is probably, you know, going to be in the running to to go down. So, yeah. Good thought. Yep. Absolutely. All right, so what, what sort of format do you want to do today, Zach? Let's, for our listeners, how are we going to do it here on a monthly basis? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So this will be not the same every month uh, because we'll have kind of different things to chat about every month. Uh, but today was the closing of the EPL transfer window. So we'll do quick recaps, um, breaking it up into a few different sections, kind of like informal award, maybe not awards, but uh, designations for for certain signings. Uh, you know, what we recognize as a certain categorical um, kind of breakdowns of the signings. So we'll talk about the transfer window, which is now officially closed. Uh, and then from there, just some general talking points, you know, 
thoughts that we've had on the five matches so far uh, going to have on a few topics of our respective choosing uh, we'll do a commercial break and then we will look at the champions league group draw which happened uh two days ago um from the day that we are recording the eight champions league groups have been set um a few interesting ones in there as always and then classic finish to the podcast 10 and 90 is how we will close it out um yeah should be should be a good one adam let's start with the transfer window a All lot right. of signings a lot of activity half of it came from nottingham forest uh we won't go through every single signing that was made by forest or by every team because that would take quite a considerable amount of time uh so let's break this down adam let's look at best signings um most puzzling signings. I know that we we talked about doing worse signings, but I think it's a little early to be kind of tabbing signings as as you know, like objectively bad. Um, but we'll do most puzzling signings, ones that kind of confuse us and we don't really you know see maybe the entire rationale for. And then we'll each pick out one or two biggest gamble signings, uh, so ones that we think you know could really make or break a team season. All right. Sounds good. Uh, I'll get straight into it then with best signings. Let, let's start with the best signing of the transfer window, period. I defy you to argue with this. Erling Haaland from Dortmund to Manchester City. Right Simple. now, the best striker in the world, hands down, making a mockery of the Premier League at present. Two consecutive hat-tricks, nine goals in his first five games. The only player that's even come close to that in the past was Sergio Aguero when he started for City. He got eight goals in his first five games. City know how to pick him, and this guy is next-level elite. And still, 21, 22 years old, Holland? Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Holland, Holland, is, Holland is up for Young Player of the Year award, which is hilarious. You can still actually get, I, maybe not after today, but I checked a few days ago, and you could get pretty much even money on on betting sites for him to win young player of the year which i think pretty much is the most safe bet you could make at this point in time but yeah i i think this this is the easiest one that we'll we'll both agree on is holland is he, he tailor made for a league like the premier league where you know pace and physicality is of the mo- utmost importance and he has a plethora of both of those so yeah you, we we can each toss out our selection for best signings, but he has been the best signing so far. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the one stat I saw today, he's obviously got nine and five now, 38 games in a Premier League season. The last time in the top division, a player hit 40 league goals in a season was 1961. 61 years ago was the last time anyone hit 40. Can Erling Haaland do that this year? That you said that's in top five leagues, not just in England. I nope. for some reason in, in, in the top flight. I said, oh, okay, in England, in England, yeah. So even before the Premier gonna, League, before the Premier it. League year, was what I was getting at. Uh, yeah, because I was going to say like Lewandowski has done that in Germany, and I, Messi and Ronaldo, I think both did that in Spain at least once. But yeah, um, yes, I, I think he will do that. Is my short answer to that question. I think he will, he will get forty pretty comfortably pending any injury exactly i think the injury thing is the one thing that would would stop him from doing it but i mean what a player um running out of superlatives to describe him perfect hat trick today um and again not scoring worldies but just his positioning and his box awareness is just next level Mm -hmm. yeah 
and there was like that at Dortmund too, just the predatory instinct that you need to be a world-class striker. So yes, Erling Holland, easy selection, best signing. Uh, I'll go with my second one here, Adam. I, I did three. I know you might have done, I think you went with four today. Um, my second, my second best signing, uh, Gabriel Jesus has been really, really effective for Arsenal, as I mentioned, they're the only team with five wins in their first five matches. Jesus getting another goal today in their victory over Aston Villa. And it really seems as though, you know, the talent was always there. It didn't seem to be working at Manchester City with the system that they play. Um, and in this Arsenal team, a team that um, is is a little bit like City in the sense that, you know, there, there are so many attacking talents. I, I think a big difference that benefits Jesus is the way in which Arsenal plays a little bit more kind of on the break. I wouldn't call them a counter-attacking side, but Manchester City, we know them as a side that you know, will hold on to the ball, will kind of just wait and wait and wait and strike at the right moment. Uh, whereas Arsenal do play, you know, down the wings, they, they kind of play through the channels. And I think Jesus has really, really combined well with uh, players such as Martinelli in particular, as well as Odegaard and, you know, the other members. Jaka has actually had a great start to the season. So Jesus is a large reason that uh, Arsenal is perfect to start this year. Yep. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. He was on my list too. Uh, I, I yeah. will say that I'm going to eat a little bit of humble pie here. I've been a big critic of Gabriel Jesus in the past. Um, he's making me eat my words this season for sure. He's solving a goal-scoring problem that they've had really since Aubameyang and Lacazette have left the club. Lacazette, I think, his career at Arsenal tailed off a little bit towards the last season, season and a half as well. Um, so I, I think they needed a goal scorer. They've got one. They've got a focal point in their attack, a big number nine. He's not just about the number nine goal-scoring side of things. He links up play well also. He's provided several mm -hmm. assists as well. And I think that the, the nice thing about it is Arteta knows him well, right? From when he was at Manchester City, Arteta. And I think totally. as a result, he knows the right way to play to get the best out of him. So I think it's just, it, it checked a lot of boxes for Jesus, Arsenal, for, for Manchester City. I mean, really, really to get the, the fee that they did. They almost It was almost a net zero between Jesus leaving to go to Arsenal and them, them bringing in Erling Haaland. So... Uh, you know, they didn't they didn't really have a lot of outlay on Holland in the grand scheme of things. So I think it, it worked out for everybody. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Okay, we're we're two for two with the same answers. Who is your third? Maybe maybe give me both. Give me your third and fourth best signings. Okay. Um, I'll give you the names and I'll give you my reasons why. Nick Pope is my first mm -hmm. one from Burnley to Newcastle. And then my second one is Mikel Damsgaard from Sampdoria to Brentford. Um, either of those two were your last one? No, I thought about putting Pope in there, but I I held off. I had a feeling you would you would select him due to our uh, affinity for his work. But no, <laughs> my my third is a different man. All right, well, I'll I'll kind of go into my two quickly here. The Nick Pope, uh, amazing bargain for ten million from Burnley. I mean, we got a English international goalkeeper who many would say is deserving of going and representing England in the World Cup later this year. He's performed exceptionally well. He's our clear number one keeper. I have a lot of confidence and faith in his abilities. He's had a couple of shutouts. He's played exceptionally well against Manchester City, especially. I think he made a couple of good saves today against Liverpool too. And just a solid Premier League goalkeeper. Um, comes out and commands his area a little bit better. Distribution, I think, is better than Dubrovka's as well, who is now rumored to be going to 
um, on the loan market out to Manchester United. Um, so I think, yeah, Nick Pope is, is my first one. And then Mikkel Damsgaard, Brentford really needed to fill a hole with Christian Eriksen only coming in for that half season and needing an attacking midfielder. So they went out and got another Dane, 22 years old, full international for Denmark, um, tournament experience, multiple goals in the last Euros, um, 22 years old, like I said, Damsgaard, and only 16.7 million. I think a real bargain there, quality player who will fit in with the Danish contingent there at Brentford pretty well. Yeah, love that. The the Copenhagen uh, crew that is Brentford, um, definitely kind of continuing with that trend, as you said, and you know, familiar with Thomas Frank from both of their time in Denmark. Uh, I do agree that he's been a really good sign and, and one for the future. You know, you look at Brentford now as a team that will hope to stay in the Premier League for years to come, and that's a player that they would want to hold on to and kind of rebuild the team around. I also agree on Nick Pope, big Dubravka fan, but there there was kind of a slight regression last year, and you, you see where Pope does have a little bit more of that um, upper-level talent that, that Dubravka can lack in consistency. Uh, my third selection, Adam, a fellow countryman of mine, Brendan Aronson. I think he has been a great signing for Leeds United, major Leeds soccer as uh, Reddit is colloquially calling them <laughs> for having, having an American manager. And then this, this uh, summer bringing in uh, two players who have played under American manager, Jesse Marsh in the Red Bull system, Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams. Aronson really sticking out to me. I think that uh, what, what Jesse Marsh has done in really trying to implement his system early in the year, you know, doing not just the, the high press, but uh, kind of playing this style where you're always trying to win the ball back right after uh, being dispossessed. I know that's a, a style popularized by the Red Bull system and Ralph Rennick in particular, a, a former uh, kind of, I guess you'd say, boss of Jesse Marsh's. Uh, there's also uh, some kind of a, a side of the tactics that I've read about, which is that Jesse Marsh has a philosophy that if you gain possession in the opposing half, you the team needs should be getting a shot off within 10 seconds of gaining that possession. And Aronson, young American, you know, known for his uh, energy and his kind of workhorse ability is the perfect player for that type of system. He runs his, his ass off. You saw it against Chelsea and his, his goal forcing Edward Mendy into that mistake on a, on a play that a lot of players would not pressure the keeper with him being 25 or so uh, meters away and Aronson doing it getting the goal for it. Uh, and I just think that, you know, well, and Aronson does not have the accolades or necessarily the impact that Holland and Jesus have had, uh, at least from a goal scoring position, I think in terms of best signings for his respective team, he's right there with them. Yeah. I, uh, he was somebody that I actually considered as well. I think he's had a great season so far him and Sinistera. I think the standout signings for Leeds yeah. in this, in this, in this window so far, but yeah, the, uh, the American contingent there at, at Leeds. It's uh, it's pretty cool. I hadn't heard that major Leeds soccer thing. Yeah, it's funny. That's so good. Yeah, I saw that recently and cracked up. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> Christian Pulisic doesn't play for Chelsea anymore, so we need some American uh, attacking midfielders to to be getting sharp for the World Cup. Yeah, a good good mix of players there. I think older and younger, mm -hmm. and you know, some some bargains and some, you know considerable outlays but um you know showing their quality already i think so absolutely okay on to most puzzling signings adam uh i'll start out here i have i only have two um 
So uh, can kind of run through them relatively quickly. Uh, and both of which I, I looked at through a bit of a different lens. Uh, didn't necessarily judge these signings based on if I think they're good players necessarily, but more so, you know, the impact or the decision by the club to sign them. My first one here, Adam, a signing from Wolves to Nottingham Forest, Morgan Gibbs-White, $33 million US dollars, uh, the most expensive signing that uh, Nottingham Forest made of their 16 signings uh, this summer transfer window. Uh, he was amazing in the championship last year, a fantastic player in the championship. And he has familiarity with the Nottingham Forest coach, Steve Cooper. They uh, He managed him under uh, Sheffield United. Uh, that being Swan, said, at Swansea, Swan, he was. Uh, yeah. At Swansea, excuse me. Yeah, mixed up there um, by the S championship sides uh my issue here is that you know not enforce the team getting promoted you need to be looking at players that you are confident will keep you in the premier league goal number one is always to stay in the prem after you're promoted and i think a player that is unproven in the premier league uh, a, a player on the younger side is not necessarily where i would allocate you know the, the majority of my funds so that was one of the more puzzling signings that i saw this season or something yeah he was also on my list too. I mean, when you think about the fee, it's um, it's rising potentially with add-ons to a total of yep. 42.5 million British pounds. That's 2.5 million British pounds less than was paid for Gabriel Jesus to go to Arsenal. Uh, when you put it in that level of context, I mean, sure, there's the England tax on that. He's an under-21 international midfielder for England. And of course, there's a link. But this was the guy they're hanging their hat on. He's the guy that they really wanted to get. And Steve Cooper got his man. So, I mean, over the course of his five years at Wolves, I think he had about 60 appearances, two of those seasons spent out on loan. So he has played a bit, but hardly set the world on fire and would be deserving of commanding that, you know, um, pretty, pretty, pretty crazy amount for, for a player that isn't that well established and played in the championship last year. Yeah, exactly my thinking. Exactly my thinking. Okay, um, so that's one that we've we've gone one for one on. Who is your second most puzzling signing? I went with Mark Cucciarella from Brighton to Chelsea. Mm, interesting. Yep, um, sixty million British pounds. Brighton really held out for a high number here, and boy, did they get it! Sixty million. Chelsea already have Ben Chilwell at left back. They spent fifty million on him two seasons ago. So think about that. In Chelsea's squad in the left back position, they have 110 million pounds of talent fighting it out to play to be to be starting games. Wild to me that they would go ahead and invest that much. It doesn't seem a position necessary. Maybe they've got some chillwell concerns from an injury standpoint. He has had a bit of an injury proneness in the past, but still a huge amount of money. And for me, this is a player, Cucciarella, who's had one good season in the Premier League, hardly proven in it from a Premier League standpoint. And I just don't think it's the right area that they needed to strengthen. They still haven't found a natural replacement for Lukaku. Um, and to blow that much money on a left back to me, a bit crazy and, and, and puzzling to me. I like that one. I was thinking about that as well. I think the injury concerns with Chilwell coming off a, a massively shortened injury season last year, that yeah, that has to be it. Chelsea is also spending an outrageous amount of money with the new ownership coming in and seem to be willing to pay any fee. Uh, I guess the one player that 
they were rumored to not be willing to budge on with it was Anthony Gordon from Everton. Everton, I think, wanted like 65, 70 million for him as well. Uh, but I agree. It, this would be, you know, if Chilwell stays, health, stays healthy, then yeah, you you now have a surplus at a position that you don't necessarily want to have a surplus at, unlike like center mid, you know, center midfield or striker. You you kind of do want to have that surplus for competition, but left back is not necessarily one of those. So yeah, I like that one. Okay. Well, who is your next one, Zach? So my second and last puzzling signing uh, is Anthony going to Manchester United, the Ajax striker, the the continuation of agent Eric Ten Hag being sent from Ajax to just get all of the money that Manchester United has and, and send it right back to Amsterdam uh, is looking very successful, buying it for 104 million US dollars, 104 million and keep this one short. I've, I've watched a good amount of Anthony play. He was on fire in the champions league last year, a, a incredibly talented player uh, known for his little spinny move in particular, his kind of meme move there. But uh, what's hilarious about this one is that back in July, uh, Manchester United inquired to Ajax on the availability for Anthony, and they were quoted at a rumored $45 million at that point in time, telling Ajax that that was too expensive. They weren't interested in just a month and a half later coming back desperate because Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't want to play there. Marcus Rashford isn't an out-and-out striker and are now being forced to pay more than double that amount. Uh, it's just incredible, incredible financial shithousery from Ajax. Uh, so that is a puzzling signing because of how poorly Manchester United played their hand there. Yeah, it's like leaving a company and then poaching all of the best employees to that company. That's exactly what Ten Hag is doing right now. Exactly. But yeah, outrageous fee for uh, a player that, again, they could have had for ha under half as much six weeks ago. Yep. All right. Well, my last one here, I, I took an interesting spin on this one from a most puzzling signing, not because of the team that was receiving this player, but because the team that let him go really did so in a very strange way. So it's Connor Cody from Wolves to Everton on a season-long mm, loan, yes. loan deal. So That's a good one. Contextually, Connor Cody is the, or has been, the club captain of Wolves for the last four seasons, really since they've come back up into the Premier League from the Championship. Cody's been a mainstay in that side and has really been a leader on that team. And, you know, he's he's now gone to Everton, it started off the beginning of this season that Bruno Lag didn't really fancy him and dropped him for their opening game. And all of a sudden he's like, shit, I'm not captain anymore. I'm not playing anymore. Hey, there's a World Cup and I'm getting on an age here. And I want to see if I can make it onto the plane to Qatar later this year. So he made a very quick decision. He's a Liverpudlian lad as well. Um, so he, he knows Everton. He knows that area of the world really, really well. Made the decision to jump ship and go over to Everton. And you know, need I remind you that back in January, Newcastle were looking for defensive reinforcements. Connor Cody was on that list. James Tarkovsky was on that list. Both of those players left basically on free transfer and alone. So they got paid no outlay for them. And they're both now center backs at Everton. Incredibly good bit of business from Everton. As much shit as we give them over the course of time, I think. Just a great bit of business from Frank Lampard there and two really steady, solid Premier League defenders now propping up the back line at Everton. 
Yeah, that is a good one. Similar thing happened with Villa um, with Tyrone Mings in the sense of club captain getting dropped in opening matches. Uh, Mings still at Villa, but kind of a similarity there. So yeah, I like that chat quite a lot. Cool. All right, well, I think that's it for our most puzzling signings. On the biggest gamble, I think, you know, this is one that you kind of can take in whatever vein you'd like. I, I have mm-hmm. one name. How many do you have here for this category, Zach? I have one as well, and this was this was almost as quick as Erling Holland for me. <laughs> is it is it Wesley Fofana? It isn't Wesley Fofana. I think Wesley oh. Fofana is a, a, a great signing, despite the fact that he also had a pretty bad injury last year. Yeah, that's so. I'll, I'll start with Wesley Fofana then, as I've already said the name. Leicester to Chelsea today for seventy-five million British pounds, making him the most expensive defender ever in world football 21 years old surpassing the amount of 72 i think it was that uh, manchester united paid to leicester for harry Maguire. mark that the two most expensive defenders of all time in world football were signed from leicester city football club yeah. harry Maguire and Pretty wesley wild. fofana they're doing something right from a recruitment and sell on standpoint there at leicester city fair play to them so I think as I look at this, right, the reason I, I say a biggest gamble here is a couple of reasons. You mentioned injury concern. Let me let me quantify that for you. He has played three professional seasons at 21 years of age. Wesley Fofana has missed 62 professional games across the course of those three seasons. Last season, he had a fractured fibula in his leg, kept him out for eight months. He has a history of knee problems before that happened as well when he was playing for Saint-Étienne. And then in the recent weeks, he refused to attend training with Leicester to force a move out of the club. And and he was asked to train with the under-23s, which he did. And then he sent this heartfelt letter to the Leicester fans, who at this point could give a shit about Wesley Fofana. They're over him, just the way that he kind of has treated Brendan Rodgers and the club over the course of the last few weeks, talking about how much he loves them. This guy is a complete loose cannon. It's a huge gamble for Chelsea. Massive outlay on a player like him. Let's see if he even plays half the season here with his injury record. I do like that. The more I thought about it, the more I was like, it's not necessarily about the quality in the player. It's about, yeah, how big of a risk it is. And I, I do think that it's a it's a it's a pretty pretty great shout. Uh it is interesting. Like, you know, Chelsea is clearly trying to kind of structure the defense for the future. They they have him, they have uh, some other young players like Reese James is still quite young. I believe Cucurella is still young. Um, mm-hmm. Koulibaly is a bit older. Thiago Silva is old, obviously quite a bit older. Uh, the player that they're looking at from Red Bull, uh, I don't think that transfer actually ended up going through, but uh, another young center back. Um, but yeah, it is it is a big risk. The injury history is bad. The, the personality type isn't great in that sense. Um, forcing a move out, refusing to train is not something you want to see out of a young player. So I do like that one. Yeah, I don't think Newcastle would have gone near him just based on the attitude alone. So The temperament, good luck, yeah. Good luck, Chelsea. Yeah, never good luck, Chelsea. Come on, you know you don't mean that. Uh, <laughs> Okay, well, so my my biggest gamble signing, another team that we're not terribly fond of that we've mentioned a couple times, Darwin Nunez is, uh, in my opinion, the biggest gamble that was made by a team this summer. Uh, we saw Nunez 
score in the Champions League against Liverpool, against other sides, being really highly touted. Newcastle, as we know quite well, was really heavily linked with him and trying to get a move uh, to get him onto time side. Um, already some issues with him, just like with Fofana. We've seen him getting suspended for three matches for a straight red card in the second match of the season. Today is his last day, uh, or today was the last match that he will be out. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think that my my issues are more with the transition that Liverpool is doing right now. Uh, letting Sadio Mane go, I think, was probably a bit of a mistake, although it seemed fairly mutual. But I mean, Nunez has a ton of pressure on his shoulders. He's a, a very young striker coming from the Portuguese league, which is a a competitive league, but a clear level below the Prem. Uh, and I, I just, I don't know. I, it's not that I'm not sold on him yet, but I think you, you need to be producing at a level that's going to be keeping a team in the title race. And if you're leading the lines next to Mohamed Salah and Luis Diaz, who's he has hit, really hit the ground running. Like a lot is going to be expected from you run off the bat. Uh, and there's not really a lot of patience with a starting striker. So I think that's a big gamble. Yeah. I mean, and a huge, huge outlay on him too, right? More, more than Fofana um, to Chelsea. So I, I would, I would agree with that. I think what was interesting is you, you mentioned it too, is when he lost his head against Joe Kim Anderson for palace. Yeah. <laughs> he just, it was amazing. He just, he just riled, riled him up and drew the headbutt. It was, it was fantastic. Not like it was a terrible, aggressive headbutt but he threw the head you can't do that um so mm-hmm. big, big big learning lesson for him i wasn't sad that he didn't play today well and what's interesting is that like Joakim anderson said after that match that they crystal palace played liverpool in a preseason game this summer and he did the exact same thing to darwin nunez and knows like anderson essentially did his research knows that Nunez does have a bit of a temper and was just like, yeah, I will. Every time the referee turns his back and I saw a video compilation of this, he, yeah, he was, he was pushing him. He was nudging him. He was grabbing him. And it is that kind of like, welcome to the the premier league type moment. So I, I think, I think that he'll learn from that. I, I don't expect, you know, uh, despite the fact that uh, Uruguayan strikers for Liverpool do have a history of blowing up in the Premier League uh, in terms of behavior. Uh, I, I don't know if I expect that again, but I do think, yeah, it, there, a lot has to go right for that that transfer to pay off. Yeah, you took a bite out of that joke there. Good, good job. Good job. Though. Nice. Oh, well done. Well yeah. done. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it on that tasty note. Uh, okay. EPL talking points, Adam. We each have a few that we'll run through. Um, let's start with you. What is your first talking point that you want to chat about from the first four weeks of the season? Yeah, I think yeah, transitioning really nicely from our, our last conversation. I want to talk about Nottingham Forest. Um, They have spent a total of 173 million US dollars so far in this transfer window. I think it's now closed. I don't think there are any additional signings. So I think that's the total amount here. Um, Literally bought a whole new team. Um, Is it an erratic move from Forrest or is it a calculated move from Forrest? What's your thoughts on on this massive outspread from from Nottingham Forest? Yeah, I think initially it looks erratic, but ultimately it was a necessary move. You look at the players that they lost to contracts that were expiring and loan deals that were ending. I mean, that alone was around 12 players and then they sold an additional five in the summer. So I think it, I mean, it has to be calculated in some, some, like some extent, you know, they let all of these contracts expire and they 
I would think banked on the TV money quite a bit to then replace them with players that, uh, in their opinion, are are upgrades almost across the board. Uh, a little too early, even you know, even though Forrest did lose six 0 today, a little too early to to really judge how um, how that this is going to turn out. But I think it was this weird thing that we've never seen before, essentially, where a team was forced to buy an entire new roster just because they essentially had no more players left. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I think the closest thing I can think to it is Villa when Villa came up into the Premier League not too long ago. I think they spent north of a hundred million. They just didn't have the the squad to compete, and they mm-hmm. brought the money in there. So it's a big gamble. Let's hope that the Stevie Cooper can make it work. As you know, I'm a huge Cooper fan. Obviously, a big Nico Williams fan, a Brendan Johnson fan too. So lots of Welsh players and manager there at Forest. I, I really sincerely hope they can they can stay up and build on it in the coming seasons. I do want to transition over when we talk about spend of a team coming up. We talk about a team in Forest that has spent a ton. A team that hasn't is Bournemouth. And this past weekend, they suffered a 9-0 defeat at Anfield to Liverpool. After the game, though, was really the the really interesting part here. Scotty Parker openly criticized the fact that he's working with a quote-unquote championship squad in an interview on Match of the Day and duly got his marching orders from Bournemouth um, the next day. So I, I want to I talk about Scotty Parker and really kind of just what's happened has happened. I want to talk about the arguments for and against his dismissal from the club, being that he's the first manager since 2004 to get fired in the month of August from a Premier League team. Last one, of course, sadly, was Bobby Robson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean... I. I agree with the firing. We talked about this offline before recording. I, I think that I think that Scott Parker is right to have his grievances with you know the fact that Bournemouth did not make the moves that he wanted them to make in the summer transfer window. But I, I think that like <laughs> when you go out in a post-match interview and credit openly not not just criticize your players, not just you know put put fault on their shoulders, but say that they are not good enough to be competing in this league. It makes me think that like wonder if Scotty Parker wanted to get fired, if he just wanted out of there, because like it is it's a it's it, it, like you're forcing you're forcing Bournemouth's hand there. They they have to fire him once he says that. Uh, in my opinion, you can't keep a manager who is looking at his players and saying almost to their faces that you are not good enough to play in this league. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a lot of arguments for, I guess, against his dismissal. Like once, once you do that, you, you are, you're packing your own bag at that point. Yeah, it's a good point. I think, you know, when, when you compare, put yourself in Scott Parker's shoes for, for a minute. Last time he was in the Premier League, he brought Fulham up from the championship and the investment that they saw was close to a hundred million in that summer transfer window. Compare that with this summer. He's against most odds taken Bournemouth back into the premier league and got them up in second place in the championship. And then their ownership is basically running their club totally different. They're saying, you know, we want to be fully sustainable. want to make sure that we don't get to a point where we're going to go bankrupt and you know, have points penalties or our club folding, and we're going to be very conservative about it. They're going the Norwich approach, right? Yeah. So I can see why he'd be frustrated. Did he deal with it in the right way? No, absolutely he didn't. I think that was a really poor thing to say. I mean, you kind of lose the dressing room when you make comments like that. 
but I, I can understand his frustration to a certain extent. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's what you say behind closed doors, not in front of a television camera broadcast around the world. Um, there are also, and I don't think we necessarily need to have the discussion right now, nor will we probably have it soon because he's no longer in the Premier League. But there's a discussion, discussion to be had of, is Scott Parker a good enough manager for the Premier League? Is he championship grade? Because as you just said, Fulham spent a lot of money last time they came up. That didn't work. They went right back down. And now he, you know, gets fired after four games. Uh, he has a team that seems to not be on the same page in any regard, uh, despite the fact that they all played together last year. So maybe there's a question of is Scott. I don't think it, 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 it begs the question if Scotty Parker should be managing a top 20 team in, in England right now. Yep. And uh nil, nil draw for Bournemouth in their game against wolves today. So, you know, uh, first points they've picked up in, in quite some time. Uh, obviously with a different manager. I forget the name of their stand-in manager that's that's there, but I don't think he'll be the long-term answer for Bournemouth, and they'll be looking for somebody more solid to try and keep him in the league this season. Yeah, most likely. I agree with that. The big the big name linked with them actually right now. Have you heard have you heard who's been linked? I heard Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry was one of them. Sean Dyche is actually the bookie's favorite to be um, installed as manager there. Would, what do you think, Daishi back in the Premier League, trying to keep another ideal. team up with long ball football? Prem, Prem is nothing without Sean Dyche. End of sentence. He can have Chris Wood back. I'll drive him there my fucking self. <laughs> good, 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 good. Okay, third talking point, Adam. Do you have a third one, or, or should I jump into mine? I do, yeah. Let me, let me round it out with simple question. Is Arsenal the real deal? I think so. I don't think that they will win the title, but I do think that, like, Arteta, he is credit to Arsenal, like in, in a team that is often criticized for kind of upper, you know, higher office decisions. They've been patient with Arteta and they're letting him build his project. And it seems to be working. Arsenal has the youngest team by average age in the Premier League. Um, we've seen matches where I think, I think there were a couple matches where their oldest player was Jaka, who might be 26 or 27 years of age. Uh, and it is looking really good. Uh, Martinelli has consistently improved. Odegaard was an unbelievable signing. Not a cheap signing, but a budget signing when you consider how good he has been. Smith Rowe looks great. Bakayo Saka looks great. I Yeah, I do think that Arsenal is going to compete for top four, if not top three this year. Yeah. Um, I, for, for me, I actually am going to argue the other side of this coin. I would argue that they haven't played anyone yet. They've played Palace. Leicester, Bournemouth, Fulham, and Villa. Let's see what Arsenal does when they come up against a good team. And, you know, Jesus and Odegaard, for me, have been the outstanding performers. Martinelli with an outside shot there as well. They're two injuries away from being a mid-table team again. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is fair. I have heard the 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 questioning of the strength of their schedule so far because they've played, as you said, only team. I, I guess Fulham is the best team that they've played so far. Uh but yeah, I, I think that they do have a lot to prove, but can prove it. Uh, I think Saliba and Gabriel in the back line is is a pretty solid pairing as well. Yeah, it should be should be interesting to see how that that season pans out. But fair play to them. Uh, as it stands right now, the only team with a hundred percent record in the Premier League, so can't can't knock that. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Okay, Adam, uh, a few uh, talking points of my own before we take our commercial break. This is, I guess, kind of now that I look at it, a bit of an early ten and ninety. But um, uh, I want you to tell me of these following five clubs, which 
should be the most concerned at this point in the season? Everton, Villa, West Ham, or Leicester? That's four clubs, actually, as I say. Everton, Villa, West Ham, or Leicester? Who should be most concerned at this point in time? I was really torn on this question in advance when you had said said you'd add this to the to the list of talking points. The two teams that really spring to mind right off the bat are Leicester, purely based on their place in the Premier League right now and the fact that they've had zero investment in the transfer window. And then Aston Villa for different reasons, because I feel like that is a quickly sinking ship and they've had a ton of investment this summer. Horrific injury for Diego Carlos that will rule him out for most of the season. Very unfortunate there but not playing well and not looking good either, Aston Villa. At a push, I would probably go with Villa, I think just because of the level of investment that they've had. But if you're a Leicester City fan, you're you're pretty alarmed. Two seasons ago, this was a team that was regularly challenging for Champions League spots and playing in Europe every season. Down in 20th right now, although they've had a tough schedule so far. I mean, that that's a concern for sure. Rodgers is not unfireable. That's a very fair answer. And I, as you said, in very different circumstances, I think with Leicester, the biggest issue is you have a number of players who have been pretty explicit that they don't really want to play there any longer. Uh, Fafana, obviously. Tielemans has made a lot of noise about getting sold, although that didn't end up happening. James Madison was connected with Newcastle. It might have been a little more smoke. Uh, but yeah, I think there's concern of lack of investment. Aston Villa, in my opinion, the biggest issue is that <laughs> Steven Gerrard, another person who's never really proven that he's a good manager in England, he, he did a great job in Scotland, but we all know that Scotland is a far inferior league to the Premier League. So, um, yeah, I I agree with your assessment there. Yeah, um, I, I think I think Villa is probably the one that I'm I'm most concerned about. And yep. you know, looking looking at the league table, 19th and 20th, those are the two teams, right? Yep. That is true. That is true. Good reason to be concerned then. Um, okay. Uh, next talking point that I have uh, and trying to keep this flowing along. Uh, evolution of Alexander Mitrovic. This one, uh, maybe we could do an entire podcast about, but a player <laughs> that was you know, brought in to Newcastle uh, about six seasons ago, never cut the grade uh, for a number of reasons, both disciplinary and performance on the pitch, uh, went to Fulham, obliterated the championship last year, murdered the the goal record. A lot of people kind of laughing at that and saying, yeah, but show, show us that you can do it in the Prem and show us he has so far the second leading scorer in the Premier League behind uh, Erling Holland. Um, and yeah, just... I, I think some some thoughts that you have on on his evolution and the improvement that we've seen under him. Yeah, I think that the stat that really says it all is that he's already scored in the first five games of the season more goals than he did in a in his last full Premier League season for Fulham. So he's got five so far this season. He got four in thirty eight last time out. So um, yeah, I think he's 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 broken Championship goal scoring records last season. I think a lot of it is to do, to do with Marco Silva at Fulham. I think the mm, fact that I like that he's come in and he's deployed a slightly different style than we've seen in managers like Scott Parker in in the past. And I think he's just trying to make him the focal point of the attack and really getting the best out of him as well. Mitro's seems to have got a handle on his 
uh, disciplinary problems, his red card history that he's had now, he seems to have matured a little bit a la John Joe Shelby, um, who had similar issues when he was a bit younger. And I think he's just, you know, he's got enough experience now. Look on a world football stage, right? Serbia actually won their group ahead of Portugal um, to qualify for the World Cup. Um, no no luck about that. Like they, they did it and a lot of it based on Mitro's goals. So this is a player that's doing it at the top level now in the Premier League again and is doing it for his country on a world stage as well. Hats off to Alexander Mitrovic. He's been shit on a lot, I think, by a lot of different people as being somebody that couldn't cut it in the Premier League. And I'm really glad for him that he's proving a lot of people wrong. Let's just hope he doesn't do it against us. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool to watch him. A, a player that I, I don't think left Newcastle on any sort of sour note. It was just no. not working. And um, yeah, good good to see him kind of revive his career. Uh, at Craven Cottage. All right, so before the commercial break, we will go to Newcastle. As we said, a tough match today, taking the lead at Anfield on a goal uh, from new signing Alexander Isak, Isak uh, and then uh, having the game tied by Roberto Firmino, who's in some type of form right now, before losing with ultimately the final kick of the game um, by Fabio Carvalho, the, the man that they actually got from Fulham. Uh, really heartbreaking one, and I, I don't know if I necessarily want to dig into this match in particular uh, because we are kind of trying to cover, you know, the the first five of the season. So um, just maybe a few positives and negatives that you have for me um, from Newcastle's for f first five matches that you have seen. Yeah, I think that the the overwhelming positive I think coming out is just the cohesion, fighting spirit, and united as one mentality of our squad these days. It's truly seeming like it's a next man up mentality at Newcastle. And although the next men up are not uh, of the same ilk or quality as a lot of the top six clubs would have at this stage, I think we still have some strength things to go before we can get to that sort of level. It's not for want of effort or trying. They're a well-organized, well-drilled, fit group of players that play in a really good style under Eddie Howe. Um, and I've been really happy, happy to see that. The other huge positive I would say is, you know, we're unfortunate to lose our unbeaten record today, but we've gotten out of our first five games, having played Man City at home and gone to Anfield, and we still have a positive goal difference to tell, yeah. which is pretty, pretty cool to write home about, right? Um, really, really nice to be able to say that this is a better defensive team Still some questions in attacking depth, I think. Um, Isaac, obviously a great striker, scored on his debut today, but we lost Dwight Gales. We still only have like three out-and-out -out strikers that we can say are our true kind of number nines that can kind of slot in there, and I'm, I'm just not sold on Chris Wood still at this point. Yeah, I think that there's quality in Chris Wood, but Eddie Howe has a very, very clear game plan for this team, and Chris Wood is just, to no real fault of his own, not a striker who can play, you know, the high pressing, uh, counterattacking style that in kind of free flowing style that that Eddie Howe wants. But I, I I agree with you. I think the one other thing I would add as a negative is Newcastle still cannot defend a corner kick, and that is something that has been the case for nearly the fifteen years that I have watched the team play. Yeah, that's true. And I, and we've been amassing quite a few injuries recently as well. Not sure what mm -hmm. we put that down to. Um, lots of muscle injuries, hamstring injuries, 
um, calf injuries happening right now. I don't know if that's because we push them so hard in training or what the reasoning for that is, but just something I've noticed. wanted to, to bring that up. Yeah, nothing too major. Unfortunately, actually, the one that we could mention, Emil Kraft, out for the better part of five to six months. Um, I don't know if that was – it wasn't a muscle injury. I think he tore a ligament, um, yeah, so more of a really contact tr- contact training injury, but really unfortunate for one of the, I'd say, unsung kind of uh, performers for for Newcastle last season. But, yeah, I, I agree with that overall. The cohesion, you know, the the identity – is really the, the most positive thing to take from it, especially with how difficult the beginning of the season has been. Um, yeah. And massive cool. shout out to Eddie, Eddie Howe as well. I think just, you know, what we, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording here today. You look at, let's not go into the game too much on the Liverpool game, but the reaction after the game between the two coaches, a lot of criticism of Newcastle for time wasting. We're at Anfield. We're trying to get something from the game. You know, we're going to do whatever we can to do that. And, you know, we, we lost and the humility from how at the end of the game, not speaking to the additional injury time minutes that people are questioning, not, not really getting drawn into any of that. Just saying, you know, gutted for the team, really good performance all around. Didn't think we deserved to, to lose it and to lose it in that way is really heartbreaking for the team. On the other side of the coin, you got Jurgen Klopp, who's a little baby. And it's just talking about how it was like karma for all the time wasting during the game, just classless. Absolutely classless. I'm so glad that Eddie Howe is our manager and knows how to deal with the press, knows when to have these conversations internally versus externally. And he's just he's just a top guy, top manager, top human being. Couldn't be happier to have him as our coach. Yeah, I agree. Well said. Nothing to add from me there. I, I think that he is as as the as both the fans and the uh the owners have shown, he's the man that we want to lead the team into the future. Um so yeah, many more years of Eddie has black and white army. All right, quick commercial break, Adam. That we'll take it, and then we will do a very brief run through of the Champions League group draw before digging into our ten and ninety. So be back in a moment. So um, I wanted to just pause for a second. Um, I thought of something. So I went to watch the game at the Celtic this weekend. And mm-hmm. I've been I've been posting on the Facebook groups for Josh and Josh puts stuff up on Twitter. He sends me the picture and I post it. So I've been doing um, a couple of hashtags and stuff for the games. Some of them pop up, but I've been doing IHWT in how we trust. Right. Mm-hmm. So so Josh said to me, he sent me a message yesterday and he said, hey, when you're doing the um, the postings for the halftime match pictures, can you not put IHWT? Um, and I said, Okay, but why not? And he, this shows my lack of social media knowledge. He said, I was looking at it the other day, and anytime somebody's marking that, it's actually in horse we trust. It's to do with like horse racing. What? <laughs> so, so, so weird. Hashtag IHWT is in horse we trust. And I'm like, this is the funniest fucking message that I've ever been said. Like, it's so ridiculous. I like it shows my shows my complete lack of understanding of social media. I, like, I mean, I, dude, I I don't know if that's on you. I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known the connection <laughs> there either. I know because we used to do it in Rafa. We trust I I R W T. We never did in Bruce. We trust because that was always silly. But um, yeah. in how we trust for sure. Yes, that is really good. That is funny. I like that anecdote. Um, and how we definitely trust. Uh. Yeah. Sweet. All right, cool. Well, yeah, let's uh, jump right back into it and 
and uh, run through champs. Okay, sounds good. Go ahead. Sweet. All right, and we are back with the second part of episode 92 of the False Nines Champions League group draw coming out this week. Uh, we saw some fun ones in there. Uh, I don't know if I want to go through every group at the moment, but people can look that up. That's what the internet is for. Adam, I'll ask you this question. Pretty pretty solid draw for the uh, for the EPL clubs, wouldn't you say? Do you want it? Maybe we run through those since this yeah. is technically kind of a Premier League podcast. <laughs> yeah, let, let's do it. So Group A, Liverpool's group. Liverpool's other teams are Ajax, who've been stripped of all their players by Manchester United, so perhaps not as strong a prospect as they have been in the past. Napoli and Rangers. So Rangers back in the Champions League proper, which I think is, is fantastic to see them back in there. I think that'll be tough for them. Liverpool got to be happy with that draw, as you mentioned. The next group, I think, is probably the best draw of all is Group D for Spurs. I think they've got to be delighted with their group. Frankfurt, Sporting, um, and Marseille. Marseille, probably for me, the biggest challenge for, for Tottenham in that group. They're playing well in Ligue 1 so far this season. I think they'll, they'll push Tottenham all the way. Group E, Salzburg, Dinamo Zagreb, Chelsea, and AC Milan. Um, very, very winnable group, I think, for, for Chelsea. Um, some difficult fixtures in there, obviously, going to the San Siro. I think will be tough, but I think Chelsea can easily come out of that as group winners. And then finally, Group G, Manchester City, Sevilla, Dortmund, Holland going back to Dortmund should be super interesting. And then FC Copenhagen, who are my most hated team in world football because <laughs> many years ago they knocked out Camarden from the UEFA Cup qualifying round. And I was there, <laughs> Richmond Park in Camarden to see it. I hate them. They spanked us. Hope That's you get so... <laughs> stuffed by Manchester City, FC Copenhagen. <laughs> that's amazing i didn't know that story that's, that's uh man yeah this, uh, now by association i stand in solidarity with the goffin clan and, and we'll wish nothing but the worst for, for fc copenhagen <laughs> enemy and enemy i did not expect to to make tonight uh yeah I, I agree with you i mean across the board like very winnable groups for every uh for every premier league side i think Chelsea Milan, I, I agree. I think that'll be an interesting match. Milan is is one of the best teams in in Italy, and Chelsea is not off to an impressive start to the season. Um, like nobody is scoring goals for them, so I I do think that they could have some some issues there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with with Ajax losing all their players to to, to Manchester United, weakens them pretty significantly. Tottenham, I I reacted the same way when I saw their group. I think Tottenham is over the moon about the the opportunity to to go forth and um yeah, good chance that all four English teams finish first. Yep, I think so too. What about um on the flip side of that, what about the groups of death? Um there's always a group mm. that stands out to you. What's yours, Zach? Yeah, um group C for sure. Uh I'd say group so group C, Bayern, Barca, Inter, and do you know how to pronounce this team? Uh, I do not. P it's a Czech side, I believe. Uh, pit, pit, yeah, I'm not even going to try. Uh, anyway, the fourth team in Group C. Uh, but yeah, Bayern, Barcelona, and Inter is a really, really powerhouse uh, group of clubs. And 
I think that you could kind of come up with any combination of those three going forth. Group H, uh, PSG and Juventus, Benfica and um, and Maccabee Haifa. That's that's a fun group as well. But I think Paris and uh, Juve should probably walk that one. Um, yeah, group group C is the easy selection there for group of death. Yeah, I think so. And obviously Lewandowski going back to Bayern, I think will be a really interesting layer to that. The other group that I thought was uh, worth a shout was Group H. Paris Saint-Germain, Juventus, yeah. Benfica obviously have been weakened as well by selling Nunez and Maccabi Haifa. Um, so just, I think a really strong group there. Happy for happy for the uh, British teams that they were able to avoid some really, really tough games there. But yeah, I think that Bayern-Barca game will be a tasty one in the... Uh, in the opening rounds of the Champions League. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, yeah, we will have much to, to kind of keep up on once the Champions League season begins. But for tonight, um, it's it's 9.09 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, and it's time for 10 and 90. We're going to wrap yes. it up with our favorite section. Um, all right, Adam, let's see. Did we both do Alexander Isak-themed questions today? Yes. <laughs> I knew it. I I only did two of my five because I knew that you would go. I know you well enough to know that you would go with a full Eastock related uh, set. So so let's do it. Let's start with yours. That was not scripted, listeners. I totally did no. go Alexander Eastock. I love to go with the topical choice as well. So exactly. To yes. listener, so. Yep. Exactly. Yep. So do you want to go first, then, uh, or do you want me to go first? How would you like to do this? Um, I'll go first. Uh, so I, I have two Esau questions, so I'll get those out of the way um, before before you go with your your full load of uh, of Esau related um, inquiries. Uh, got two for you. Question number one: Alexander Esau is a dual citizen of Sweden and which other country? Eritrea. Ah, uh, was that one of your questions? Or we, are Dang we, it, it are was, we, Zach. It was. We're, we're on it today. We are absolutely on it. Eritrea is correct. He does play na- internationally for Sweden, um, but does have citizenship in Eritrea. Nice. A little, little, little extra layer, because I've obviously done my homework on this too. His parents emigrated to Sweden from Eritrea at a very young age. Um, I think she was actually pregnant with him at the time due to human rights concerns in there and now he's playing for a team with some of the largest human rights concerns in world football that's a dark dark detail dark detail dark detail um but yeah oh god um all right question number two that's a tough one to follow up uh isak played 132 matches for real sociedad in la liga or in uh, 132 matches for real sociedad a team in la liga uh those matches across all competitions uh, how many goals did he score for them? I know it's not as much as you would think it is. I want to say, give, oh, I got an, I got a plus minus here. Five. 32. 44. So just under, okay. uh, just well, under uh, the plus minus. A, de- a decent yeah. return, one in every three matches. Yep. But he's also has, has drifted out to the wings and has provided assists as well. So um, good, good player for link for dropping down and linking the play. Absolutely. Okay, uh, now we are done with ESOC-related questions, at least for the next couple minutes. Question number three. Of the five Newcastle players who have scored the most goals against Liverpool, only one of them has played more recently than 1960. 
He has six goals in 11 matches against Liverpool. Who is he? You're going to have to say that one more time for me because I... A bit I of a confusing one. Yes. So, so Isak scored his first goal for the club today against Liverpool. Um, yes. Of, of the five of the top five Newcastle scorers against Liverpool. Yes. Only one of them has played more recently than the year 1960. Do you know who he is? He has six goals in 11 matches for Newcastle. And I know that he is one of your favorite kind of older, older generation Newcastle players. I mean, is it Gary Speed? It is not Gary Speed. Okay. I, think, I think before Gary Speed, but you know that my Newcastle knowledge prior to like 2005 or 2000 is a little difficult. Not sure then I'm guessing. That would be obvious. One. No. Yeah. Older, hmm. older than that. Older than that. Faustino Aspria. Malcolm McDonald. Malcolm McDonald. Okay, wow. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I know, I know you've mentioned Super Mac a few times. Um, Super Mac is yeah, right up there with the top goal scorers behind behind sure so for Newcastle and his Newcastle history. So makes sense. There you go. Question number four. How many goals does Holland end with this season in the Premier League? I mean, we've talked about it already. Let's go with 40. Yeah, I think that is probably a very safe bet. I think close to 45 myself. Whew. Okay. Uh, you just yeah. got to stay healthy. That's the key. And that's it. Um, okay. Uh, by how many points will Manchester City win the title this season? We're calling on, after you, five, five matches. You think Manchester City's going to win the title this season? I do. I do. Very yeah. much so. It's, it's, it's likely going to happen. Although they've been digging some holes for themselves in recent matches against Newcastle and Palace. So not mm-hmm. exactly what, airtight at the back, I would say. Um, but plenty of plenty of attacking prowess to bring themselves back into games. Uh, they win it by eight points. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree that it. I think they'll win it, and I don't think it'll be final day material. Uh, but you're right. Yeah, they do have they do have some uh, some fixes to make in the back line. Um, yeah. So as, as they wait as for Laporte as, to come back and other players like that. I was gonna say, as long as Liverpool don't win it, I'll be a happy man. Yeah, we're anti Liverpool now. We're a full anti Liverpool podcast. Exactly. <laughs> okay, Adam, your five questions on Alexander Isak. Give it to me. Well, it's four questions on Alexander Isak because you stole the air trail one from me now, Zach. So we'll we'll go with it. I guess I still have five questions because one of them is going to be my Welsh word for the day. All right. So I'll I'll start with this one. This is a great one. You'll love this. Which one of these is a nickname that Isak goes by? This is a real question. Hippo, Mm -hmm. giraffe, or aardvark? I want it to be aardvark so badly. But I think it's giraffe. I think it's giraffe because he does have a noticeably long neck. It's giraffe. That's absolutely um, correct. Yeah, he's a lanky, yeah. tall, long-necked creature. So, yes, yes. Oh, Surprisingly, not not as good in the air as you would think he is. Actually, I've read that. Yeah, he's not necessarily an aerial threat, but six foot three does lot on mold. There's always Chris Wood. He's great in the that air. That is true. That yep. is true. It has yep. to be said. <laughs> All right. Who who is Alexander Isaac's footballing idol? Is it Zlatan? It is Lata yeah. You are it makes two, a lot of sense. Four two so far. That is mm-hmm. a record that you will not maintain, <laughs> my friend. Okay. Next question. What Eredivisie record does Alexander Isaac still hold to this day? Gosh. It's pretty vague. Um 
most consecutive matches with a goal? It's incorrect. He's actually the first and only player in Dutch top flight football to score three penalties in the same match. <laughs> that's wild. All right. Yeah. That's, so I'd... we we have got a penalty taker as well. I mean, that's what that's what sixty million gets you, right? A quality striker that can put the ball away <laughs> exactly. in Liverpool and, and score a penalty when you need him to. So that's true. All right, question number four. What is Isaac's only professional career trophy to date? Hmm. Oh, I don't know. Sociedad never won the Copa del Rey, did they? I don't know. Is that your answer? Yes, they won the Copa del Rey. (laughs) They did in the 2019-2020 season. Copa del Rey is the only silverware of his career so far. Let's hope that is not the case for too much longer. That is true. All right, a good performance by me there. I'm happy. I'm happy with that. So. Now give me my well. Now give me my Welsh word. <laughs> you'll like you'll like this one. All right, pronounce this Welsh word for me. I'll spell it out for you, Zach. W, R, E, C, S, A, M. that Wrexham? <laughs> it's Wrexham in Welsh. Yeah, yeah nice. Okay. Writing, I, writing that yeah. out made that pretty easy. Yeah. I watched the first two episodes. Uh, I'm, I'm only one night. episode in, but Lord, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed how seriously they took it. My, my yeah, favorite yeah. line of that whole episode, at least the first one that I've seen, was when they're on, on the pitch at the start of the episode, the two of them, and they're looking around at the stadium. And they're like, you know, oh, what would happen like if we... You know, we, we're heroes right now, but what if what if it goes wrong and and we start losing games and it just all falls flat and we gotta sell the place and they look at each other and they both go at the same time. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's perfect. It's just it's so their sense of humor and the comedic timing of them was just perfect. And I think you know, worst case scenario, even if they don't go up and they're not able to advance them up the leagues, the amount of publicity that they have brought to that small football club in North Wales is unbelievable i i saw somebody in a wrexham shirt in denver the other day in denver yeah yeah i mean it's it's wild they're very clear with their intentions of of making a sports documentary of of kind of like using this as a business venture and i think that yeah i mean they they came off brian reynolds and rob mcelany that is the the celebrity owners of, of wrexham fc in the the fifth division of english football uh they did come off as very genuine guys so i too am excited to keep watching it yeah, and um, if you're not really keeping up with fifth-level English-tier football right now, you should know that Wrexham are in second place in the there National you go. League yeah, right now. So um, they are well on the way. The, the way that that works, I don't know if you're familiar with how that promotion structure works, but you go up. The only team that goes up automatically is the team that finishes in first place, and then you oh, have really? six teams that qualify for playoffs beneath them. Oh, wow. That is crazy. Yeah. So super difficult. Only one team will go up alongside the league winners. So that's why they say it's one of the m- most difficult leagues to get out of. And your beloved Scunthorpe are in the relegation zone in the National League as well. They are plummeting fast. That's awful. That's tough for for us. For us, iron. Scunthorpe iron. <laughs> that's, damn, they're not even in FIFA anymore. That means my phantom has been broken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to break. I'm sorry to break that to you, my friend. 
That's brutal. Um, another year of, of Scott Thorpe failing. Well, what's new? Uh, on that note, we will close episode 92 of the false nines. A fun one. We will be back in a month's time with a new fresh episode, probably. Uh, yeah, with a, a bunch of new fun talking points, maybe some guests. Uh, it, it should be a fun one. And in the meantime, everybody enjoy, enjoy your footy and uh, enjoy watching Newcastle get screwed out of fake VAR because the Premier League is a business venture that needs to keep its viewers locked in. So they're going to make it so Liverpool doesn't lose this week because that would end the title race early and they don't want to lose their money. And that's my conspiracy theory for today. I thought we were going to get but, through the whole episode without you dropping that conspiracy theory, but well done for you for, for getting footy, there at the end. Cor- corrupt footy. <laughs> <laughs> footy, Zach? Corruption footy. Until next time, Peace. my friend. <laughs>